Hey gang, I'm Nikki LaCroce, and you're listening to Who the Fuck? A show that explores the power of human connection and the profound resilience of the human spirit through compassionate conversations that help you better understand yourself so you can live with the sense of peace, purpose, and joy that you deserve. Each episode offers a safe space for guests to share intimate details of their personal journey and lessons learned along the way as we all seek to answer life's most important question. Who the fuck am I? Hi, I'm Nikki LaCroce, and you're listening to Who the Fuck. On today's episode, I'm sharing the mic with Joe Partavila. And Joe is a fellow podcaster and author of Good Listen, which highlights Joe's insights and experiences, helping readers create more memorable conversations in business and in life. Over the course of his career in radio and podcasting, Joe's produced over 10,000 hours of content and currently serves as the director of podcasts for Advantage Media Group and Forbes Books. Prior to his current role, Joe spent much of his career as a radio personality and producer for the legendary New York City radio station, PLJ, and was also a member of the Upright Citizens Brigade, Brigade, as well as a founding member of the New York-based sketch comedy group Clip Show. Welcome to the show, Joe. Nikki, thank you for having me. For sure. I'm really excited to have the conversation and the, um, a, you know, our first conversation, in fact, was, I thought, really enlightening. And even just from the brief time that we spoke, I took away a valuable tip from you, which was when you are sort of setting up the outline for yourself for the podcast, don't number your questions <laughs> or your thoughts, just put yeah. them there and allow yourself to be more free flowing. And so even though that's the mentality ha- I have in the way that I've operated historically, I was still numbering those things. And I do think my life has improved as a result of your advice. So thank you. Wow. <laughs> I had a positive impact on another human being. That's that's good. I'll, I'll mark down this day. Well, yeah, Nikki, it's so funny. And I put that in the book, too, because I think our brains are so hardwired to work numerically. Like one, two, three, four, five. And as you know, with a conversation, conversations are sort of like it's an alchemy. It's like it's like something that's like all these juices and and feelings and things go together, and you can't number those things. So it's totally. a conversation kind of just lives on its own. So the idea of like putting structure to that in such a way that works in a like a, a chronological order, it just that's not how you make a really good conversation. And so I'm glad you 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 had that little takeaway from our chat. Yeah, absolutely. And you make a really good point in terms of the organic nature of a good conversation. In fact, I think about when I was younger and when I would be doing schoolwork and I would constantly be told, put it in outline form. And I would think, okay, but that's not the way my brain is working right now. I kind of need to like drop everything onto the page and then sort through it before I can actually really decide what that structure looks like. And when I was reading your book, I will be honest, I didn't get all the way through, but I got pretty far. And I think that, you know, you make a lot of really great points around what really the components of a meaningful conversation are. And you open the book with a quote that I absolutely love that I wanted to share with listeners to hopefully inspire some people to check out the book, but also look inward a little bit about how they approach conversations. And that's from psychologist Sherry Turkle. And she writes, face-to-face conversation is the most human and humanizing thing we do. Fully present to one another, we learn to listen. It's where we develop the capacity for empathy, and it's where we experience the joy of being heard and being understood. And that quote, I feel, just embodies really what the book is about, what you and I have talked about with the importance of conversation. And you've really focused your career and the book around being able to be very intentional about how you approach people and the curiosity that can lead to really meaningful connections. So can you share a little bit about how you came upon this idea for the book? Mm. Because I had heard in other interviews that you did that it really wasn't necessarily a bucket list thing for you. No, no. I, and, and Nikki, you know me, I'm not the brightest guy in the world, but the, the one thing I do know what to do is to talk to people. And, you know, I don't have the, the best grammar. I don't, but the one thing I, I come from is a, of a place of curiosity. And you say, it's like, I really want to know things. And for me, the way I ingest things and the way I, as I grew up was ingesting things just, just by like auditory and like visually, like just receiving all this information. So when I was a kid, I was, you know, I'm a Gen Xer. So I was a uh, pre-internet kid. And the only way you could learn stuff was from watching TV, listening to the radio. And then of course, reading if you're one of those smart kids. 
But at, for me, I was one of those people that would watch a lot of TV, listen to a lot of radio, and I would just just gobble up information. And to me, I sort of just outwardly focused that. So when I went out into the real world, I'm like, all right, cool. I'm getting all this information from these mediums like TV and radio, but like I want to get information from people. And the way, the best way to get information from people is by having them tell you, like not assume anything or make assumptions on what a person is feeling or acting like, but just by having conversations with them. And it's one of those things where I never really even thought about it. And you mentioned being intentional. I didn't know it was intentional. I kind of, it was just, just part of my DNA to be like that. But as I, as I got older and as I started working with clients and, and helping them produce a podcast, I realized that a lot of people don't have that as part of their, you know, internal brain chemistry. And so I always took a lot of those skills that I had acquired for granted. And that's sort of how the book happened because I was starting to teach folks, like you mentioned, I work at Advantage Forbes Books where I help these entrepreneurs, CEOs, uh, you know, high net worth individuals like become podcasters. And I would start telling me these things that I ended up putting in the book, but like, they'd be like, oh, cool. I never thought of it that way. And I was like, really? And I was like, I thought everyone thought like that. And then of course I'm like an idiot because I spent 20 years working in radio New York. And of course, and these are people that like built multi-million dollar businesses. They wouldn't know what the hell it takes to be a communicator on radio or podcasting. And so that's how the book sort of happened. It was just like, I was imparting this advice to all these folks. And then when I went to the powers that be, I was, I was, you know how comedians talk? They'll always like, they work bits with each other and they'll say, is that a thing? You know, is this a thing? And so I went to my boss. I'm like, is this a thing? Is this a book? And they're like, yeah, it's a thing. And so it was just like a really fast process because a lot of that stuff was so fresh in my mind. Like all the anecdotes in, in the book that I use, all of the the tips and tricks I use, they're the stuff I, I was doing and working on every single day with all these clients. And so I just wanted to do something where I was like, part memoir where I talk about my story and how I got to where I am, but really using these stories that I had with celebrities. And really they're not, it's not supposed to be for like name dropping stakes, but it's really more for, I learned a lesson from this interaction with this other person. And it just, they just so happen to be famous, but I think a lot of people like having like famous people in their life and stuff like that. So I thought it would be cool to like use these little nuggets and moments in time to help people today and, and show what I learned from those experiences. Yeah, absolutely. And I really appreciate the way that you interweave your experiences with people, both of notoriety and I think just in general in the book to be able to speak to the different dynamics that you can have with people as well. And one of the things that you raise sort of early is around how you have to lose that fear. You have to mm. be able to enter a conversation with a sense of it can really kind of be about anything. And mm -hmm. I, I feel like a lot of people get nervous about talking to other people because there's sort of that sense of, well, what if we don't know what to talk about? Or yeah. how do I appropriately address something? Or sometimes it's like, how do I gracefully exit this conversation? Yeah. Which I really appreciate that my wife has said to me that I'm really good at gracefully exiting conversations. <laughs> and I, I think that comes from being in corporate America for a little while. You're like, you got to figure out when things need to stop. Yeah. And at the same point in time, I think that there's you know, so many people, as you said, who don't have the daily interactions that help cultivate that skill set. And especially because we're living in an increasingly digital world, it can be harder to figure out sort of the structural uh, means by which you're going to communicate. And, mm. and, and I mean, like less structural in terms of topic and more around like, what's the right way to speak to somebody? Yeah. And I think technology has its advantages and disadvantages when it comes to that. So I'm curious about your opinion. As you mentioned, you're yeah. Gen Xer, I'm a millennial. So I was sort of that hybrid model of pre-internet, but also really kind of thrust into the digital age. Yeah. And I will say this because I want to talk uh, because I want to be clear, even though I'm a Gen X and the old guy in this conversation, I am not one to like poo poo technology. I love a good text as well as anybody. I love social media as, as anybody. So it's not an you know, old man shouting at the clouds here. But I will say when it comes to having a real meaningful connection with a person and being able to share ideas and find out the conversation is the only way to go. And so when you talk about the conversation piece, Obviously, I'm obnoxious and extroverted, but introverts all the time be like, hey, you know, it's great that you, you share these ideas, but I'm introverted. So I'm uh, I'm not as forthcoming when it comes to asking questions to the person. And, I'm, and I say to people, 
introverts could be the best conversationalists because they're the best listeners. They're not so worried about sharing about themselves. But if you're a curious introvert, you can be great at conversations and sharing ideas because all you're doing is putting the spotlight on the other person. Because when it comes to a conversation, it's usually one one to one conversation communication where one person sharing idea, the other person's receiving the idea and then sending information back. And you mentioned my my uh, improv background. Improv is this one of the big hallmarks of using of long form improvisation is yes ending. So it's like doing a scene with someone saying yes to what that person's offering and at, off and adding to it. That's improv, but that's also conversations in a nutshell. It's yes, I agree with what you're saying, but and here's what I have to add to this. And so if you have that mindset of you're listening, the listen piece, and that's why I call the book Good Listen. If you're a good listener, you can be great at communicating with other people. If you're not a good listener, conversations just become two people having a monologue, and that's not what you want. Nothing get nothing gets shared. Nothing get you nothing nothing gets out of it because neither of the people involved are getting anything from the other person. They're basically just shouting out their ideas. I mean, in radio, a lot of folks are guilty of this. I've been guilty of this in the in in the past, where you're in the middle of a show where there's multiple people involved, and basically all you're listening for is for silence for the other person to stop talking and then you could start talking. We're all guilty of this in real life or whether we're doing a podcast or on radio, television, whatever, we all do this. But the one thing you have to do is sort of like, you know, the old share snap out of it thing. You have to just be like, okay, cool, wait. All right, it's not about when this person's done talking. It's like, what is this person giving me to talk? So uh, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's conversations are tricky because they require so much intention. Uh, because you can't be distracted. And I think that's why podcasting is great. There's like uh, this line, and I might have shared with you in the past, Nikki, that like one podcast equals five first dates. Because if you think about it, like where else in the world, in your entirety of like life, will you have a one hour in uninterrupted conversation with another human being without anything else getting in the way of things? You never will. So that's why I think podcasting is great, especially, I mean, the folks I work with, with entrepreneurs and CEOs, they, you know, they use the podcast as network building. And it's like, think about the network you could build by having one hour uninterrupted conversations with folks who you would never have a conversation with. So you could keep that in mind for anything, where you're doing a podcast or just in real life. If you can dedicate time to another individual that's uninterrupted and it's all about that conversation at that one time, you can get so much from it, whether it's creating a good podcast or developing a relationship with someone in a way that you never would with in technology with technology with a text or social media post yeah i i have so many thoughts on that and i really appreciate <laughs> the the thread of the conversation there so two things one in particular the fact that you hadn't mentioned previously the sort of one podcast is the equivalent of five dates and I love that because so when my wife and I met, we actually we'd met online. We decided we were just going to be friends like there, there was no uh, real intent there other than, hey, you seem like an interesting person. Let's, um, you know, conversate. And the whole reason she ended up even saying yes, because we lived uh, a couple of hours apart and there's a border between us because she's Canadian, as we mentioned on the first call. Mm -hmm. and apparently, yep. I feel the need to bring that up every time we talk. Um, it was <laughs> more for listener context. Um, but now that I've circled back and we we were on this app and i said hey you know i think it would be um beneficial to just kind of have the off this app messaging it's just harder to communicate i'm less apt to pay attention to it and so we actually would share audio messages frequently and that evolved into eventually video messages and facetime and things like that but you, we just gathered such a sense of each other because we were actually communicating through audible conversation mm. rather than text messaging where you can cultivate a response a bit more by design mm -hmm. not to say you can't do that with an audio message but i certainly have less of a filter and um <laughs> probably more regrettable statements made that come out of my mouth and the toothpaste sure. can't go back in the tube. And the other part of that that made me laugh a little bit is that, uh, so she actually decided to connect with me because I have a podcast and she she's like, I've listened to my 10,000 hours. Like I just, like I down podcasts, my favorite thing to listen to. And so she got to know me a lot more than I got to know her before we actually forged our our 
romantic relationship. And we were actually talking about this last night. And she's like, I mean, maybe it was a little weird for you because I, I knew a lot more about you than you <laughs> knew about me going into it. And I thought, well, you know, I don't even know how much I revealed about myself in the first couple of seasons that she listened to. But to your point, you're interfacing with somebody for, you know, 45 minutes to an hour, and you do that over the course of, let's say, 28 episodes, then you're, you're getting some insights into the person yeah. on the other end of that mic, even if they're not the guest. And I feel like that's so interesting to consider just such a monumental impact on people's lives where you don't even know when people are listening, because it the podcast provides this fly on the wall experience for listeners as well, which I think is something that can ground us in that experience. And even if you're listening to it as you're doing other tasks, there's something sort of, I don't know, it, it feels more intimate than other mm -hmm. means of communication, uh, particularly media consumption. Do you feel that way as well? Oh, absolutely. I, that's why I've always been, you know, I spent 20 years in terrestrial radio and, you know, I'm sort of, speaking from a position of like, that's all I know, but like the idea of the intimacy of the way people listen to radio, like for example, I was working morning drive in New York from six to 10 in the morning. So more, more likely the listeners would be trapped in their car, sitting in traffic in New York city uh, for half hour, hour, two hours at a time listening to us. If you think about it, if you're using our, uh, uh, the case we were talking about earlier about like uninterrupted conversation with another human being, what other medium do, are you trapped consuming captive? You, there isn't one like if at home. Like if you're watching TV, you're not trapped at home to put the TV on. You can always turn the TV off, but like or go do something else. But when you're in a vehicle listening to something and you just have nothing else to do in your brain but to consume this audio, I, I can't think of anything that's analogous to that. You know, oh, uh, really the only thing analogous, more analogous is like having a real human conversation one on one where you're just completely trapped in this scenario of of of, of chatting with this other person. So, yeah, no, I agree. I think audio at, is and always will be. I, I People always for for my entirety, my career, we're talking about radio's dead. Radio's dead. Radio will never die. It will always be there because at the end of the day, it's still the easiest way to consume audio. Uh, as as much as technology has come a long way and we can listen to podcasting and streaming XM, all of that jazz, there are some days, and I don't know if this is you too, uh, Nikki, where I'll get in the car and I'm like, I just don't feel like plugging my phone in. I'm, I'm just going to go turn on the local radio station. So radio is always going to be there. I mean, it's yeah. the, the form of it has changed. And I know we can have conversations about why it's why it's 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 faded in, in, in the past. But I think a lot of that has to really do more with money. Uh, when I was when I was growing up in the business, uh, people would always be like, who's the next big radio star? And I'm like, the, the next big radio stars on YouTube or they're, <laughs> the, you know, they're, they're or they're starting a podcast. You know, when I came up in radio, the only way you can be successful in that business was to start in a small market and work your way up. I was yep. fortunate because my first job was in New York, but I was just stupid lucky. But most people have to start start in a small market and work their way up. But what happened was. Radio start radio stations started cannibalize each other. Big companies started buying things, uh, buying up stations in bushels, and so that local personality was dead. They would start beaming the big New York, you know, big radio personalities to smaller markets. So then there were less positions for for for, for people to take to work your way up. So those people who were like dying to be on a microphone or just dying to get their voice out went to YouTube. They started podcasting. So. In a way, radio is alive and well. It just comes in different forms, whether it's a podcast or YouTube video and we're now TikTok. Yeah, that's such a an insightful point too, Joe. I think about that a lot actually because there's sort of the mentality that people have that, you know, anybody can have a podcast. And you're like, yes, anybody can have a podcast. But as um, my, my wife pointed out, not everybody can have a good podcast. And I don't yeah. mean... Um, to offend people, I just think that, or, or to be overly arrogant in, in assuming that mine is one of the good ones, I think that there's the reality that production quality matters, content and the substance of that content matters, and to some extent, the niche matters. And, you know, there's very specific podcasts, horror movie mm. podcasts, things that are very, you know, catered to an audience who wants to hear about a topic. Whereas these conversational podcasts, like the one that I have, I think about Armchair Expert with Dax Shepard, or um, We Can Do Hard Things with Glennon Doyle, like those are sort of the, the type of podcasts that I would hope to embody within my own because they're these raw, 
integrated conversations, human to human, where it makes people who have, um, to your point in your book as well, like status, it makes them more approachable. It humanizes them quite a bit. And, you know, you mentioned a couple of scenarios in the book. One that really stood out to me was when you were in New York when the women's national soccer team had mm. won the World Cup, which was a really monumental moment in my life as well. I remember the moment where Brandi Chastain like ripped off her jersey and that mm -hmm. was the photo, right? And you speak about that and you note that everybody was sort of commenting on that, the, the, the highlight reel of the game, which was the very end and wasn't even relevant to the win itself. And you took a different approach and basically said, you know, how does this make you feel seeing your impact on young athletes? Um, I'm paraphrasing, obviously. But, yeah. You know, I, and I felt like that was such an indicative, an indicative sentiment around who you are as a person where you were able to not only identify that everybody's asking you the same question, so you're kind of just running on autopilot, so where's even the depth to the response, but also perhaps that person is longing to answer a different question. And I'm curious, do you find that in your career and, and life that you tend to be that person that goes a layer deeper when everybody else is sort of hovering at the surface? Yeah, I think in that example, I, I so I'm a self-professed fat kid. So my whole life I was either bullied or made fun of for being the fat kid. And in certain scenarios, I sometimes want to push back against the bully. So in, in the case of Brandy Chastain, it was the scrum of like 40 reporters wrapped, wrapped around her, asking her about why she ripped her jersey off, the controversy behind it. And to me, uh, my fat kid came out and be like, wait, why? What, 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 why is that important? And, and for some reason, the why triggered what the question would be. And so you know, I still wanted the question to be around the shirt because that's what everyone was talking about. But I took it a different way where I was like, listen, this shirt that you that was famously ripped off going forward, little kids are going to be wearing your shirt with your name on it. And and Nikki, you know this at the time, the idea of wearing a female athlete's jersey was completely alien. The WNBA didn't exist. The U.S. soccer team had just landed and became a, you know, a known thing with, you mm -hmm. know, the Mia Hams of the world and Brandy Chastain's. So the idea to like ask someone a question about like someone wearing your, your name on their back was just like completely foreign. And I don't know why I thought of it at the time, but all I kept thinking about was the shirt and what it means in the future. And so when it comes to me, I'm, I'm a big fan of the movie uh, sliding doors by Gwyneth Paltrow. So I don't know if you're familiar oh, with that one, familiar. 90s that classic Gwyneth Paltrow. Basically, if you're not familiar with it, it's it tells a story of two different uh, of a woman living two different lives, one where she misses the subway and one where she gets on the subway, hence sliding doors. So I'm always a big sliding doors question person. So I always ask, like, what would happen if this moment didn't happen? So I kind of sliding doors this one was like, OK, now that this has happened, what's going to happen next? And uh, I think that's a great tack for anyone. So if, if someone's doing a podcast or because I always feel like everyone always tries to find a good crutch question when they run out of questions. And I think that's always a great one to ask, like, what would what would happen if this one moment in your life didn't happen? And to a person, they always will will say, you know, that moment changed, our, uh, changed my life forever. And if, if that didn't happen, I don't know what my life would have been. I don't know what the other sliding door would have been. So. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's my tack always been, you know, whether it's in person or working in radio or podcasting. It's like, what what if what what could happen? And uh, I think and it, it all stems back to what we we're talking about earlier. It's all about like that curiosity, just being curious about other people. And I think that's the problem. And I hate to like dumb down the, the the world's problems. But I I think the reason why we have so many issues is we, we a lot of people just lack curiosity. Like no one really wants to know why another person feels a certain way. Um, an example of this, and, and again, I'm guilty of all of the things that I preach, So, but I try to practice what I preach. So I moved down to Charleston, South Carolina uh, in 2020 before the pandemic. So I moved to Charleston before it was cool. Uh, and then all of a sudden everyone started moving down during the pandemic. But I uh, moved down and... Uh, I was living in this apartment complex, and I, as you could probably tell, I'm a card-carrying liberal from New York. And one of the guys who lived in the complex drove this big red monster truck that was loud as hell, and he had the QAnon symbols on, like, blazing on the windshield. 
Like mm-hmm. it was the, I think it's like an acronym that they use, like what, where we go, they go. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but as me, this like ultra liberal New Yorker, I think most would be like, look at this guy. What a nut. Like, what the hell's, what is this problem? Why is he into that? But, and, and where I'm going with this is I end up running into the guy by the, the pool in our, in our complex. And he ends up being like the nicest person in the world. He's like, we're talking about barbecuing and all the stupid things white guys talk about. And we didn't talk about QAnon. We didn't talk about politics, but I was just curious about him and who he was as a human being. And I think most people would be like, that guy's a nut. I don't want to talk to him. But because I I gave him grace and I just was accepting him as a, a, a fellow human being just walking the earth like I am. We had a great conversation, chatted. We, you know, from time to time, I'd see him. You know, I, I, I'd get annoyed as all hell when his truck woke up my dog, but that's another thing. <laughs> but just the idea of just being curious about another person and finding out why or what makes them tick, I think that's the problem, I think, the, nowadays. I think that's why we get all these silos and we live in our silos because all we want to hear is what we want to hear and we don't want to hear what other people want to hear. And so I think if... If, if, if anyone's going to take anything from this conversation, it's just like maintain the curiosity that you had as a kid. When you were a kid, you, we're all probably guilty of this. We drove our parents crazy and say, why is this? What's this? Why is that? And I think we get to a certain age where we get afraid of asking questions. And I think we just have to get out of that and just be unafraid of asking questions. Be curious. And if you come from a good place, because I think sometimes people could be like, well, what if you ask an inappropriate question? If you're coming from a good place and you're a good human being, I don't think there's any any such thing as an inappropriate question. Uh, if you're coming from a dark place or cynical or something, sure, of course you can't ask an inappropriate question. But if you're like sweet and 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 just want to know because you want to know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's what we need to start doing more of in this world. Yeah, that was a really helpful, I, I think, explanation of our own expectations when we have these conversations too with regards to speaking to somebody who has different political views obviously this is something in the world right now that is quite heightened yeah and excuse me and i think it's interesting because on the flip side of that that guy probably also i mean not to say he knew for a fact that you weren't somebody who was was interested and engaged in QAnon, but i mean it goes both ways right and it's it's giving each other that grace and it reminds me of this quote in ted lasso if you watched it where he literally references walt whitman saying be curious not judgmental and Mm. i've always loved transcendentalism and specifically walt whitman so that stuck with me for a number of reasons Mm -hmm. and when I consider how I even got to this place with my podcast, I mean, it really was that question, like, who the fuck am I? Like, who am I? And who are other people? And opening that conversation in a way that is more about having sort of this energetic connection around that shared human experience, instead of I need to be right, you need to be wrong, or even if you're debating, it can be healthy, it can be civil. And we have this way of sort of dispersing ourselves into these segments because like you said, it's these echo chambers, it's you know, groupthink. We want to feel accepted and like we belong. So when you find people with similar mindsets, it can be pretty easy to fall into something and feel like, well, I'm a part of it and so this is my perspective. Yeah. And I do feel that one of the important things that we need to really evaluate as we're either cultivating new views or considering our current beliefs is, is that genuinely how I feel? And why do I feel that way? And is that subject to change based on circumstances? And you spoke about people sort of having those life-defining moments there's like, well, what would happen if, or when did it all change for you? And I wanted to circle back to that because I know when we initially spoke and and you even mentioned it earlier, you, you feel you got lucky in terms of how you landed in radio at a young age and were able to progress in what is a, a difficult space, especially historically where not everybody could get a mic and equipment and record <laughs> and to be able to have that opportunity. 
So I imagine that that might be one of those defining moments, but I'm curious if you separate uh, your career in radio and podcasting from sort of just your life overall, is there another defining moment that stands out to you? You know what? I think what define this is kind of this is going to be really a silly kind of a silly story, but I think what defined me and even my brother is that my parents were were immigrants. My my mother was a Cuban refugee. My father was a sailor from Spain. They both met in New Jersey, and my mom always said to me and my brother, "I don't care what you do for a living as long as you're happy." That's she always said that, and she. And it turned out my brother ended up being like this big shot, like VP for Major League Baseball's website. And I have obviously I did OK in radio and we we did what we ended up wanting to do and we ended up being happy. But I think that only came from the fact that my our parents were just like so cool about doing whatever we did or want to do. And here's an example of it. So when I was a little kid, I was incredibly influenced by movies. So if I saw a movie, I'd want to do that thing the next day. So I remember seeing the movie La Bamba, the true story about Richie Valens that started Lou Diamond Phillips, got out of the theater. I was like, Mom, I want to take guitar lessons. And uh, and my mom was like, oh, sure, sure, sure. So she signed me up for uh, guitar lessons. I went to a local place where this guy looked like Bon Jovi was, was showing me how to play guitar. Turned out playing guitar is a lot harder than than uh, Lou Diamond Phillips made it look in the movie. <laughs> and it turns out he didn't even play it. It was he was he was like lip syncing Los Lobos. Um, so I quit that. And then I remember watching the karate kid. I took, guitar, uh, took karate lessons. And my mom was like, yeah, sure. Do that. And then one time I was watching HBO and it, as a kid in the eighties, the only way you got to see really like naughty things was if you had HBO. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so, and of course, naughty things now is like basically now like NBC, but anyway, yeah, right. but, but this is how it is now. Um, so I was watching, uh, HBO one night and there was a film for, um, it was a film called a night in heaven. And I'm not sure if you remember this, but it's a ball about this kid who moonlights as a stripper and he falls in love with his college teacher. And so I remember watching this and I think I might've been like 10, 11 years old, maybe 12. And I don't even know if I watched the movie. It was probably like the trailer. And, uh, I go to my mom like, Hey mom, I think I want to be a stripper. And my mom's like, all right, hon. Well, you know, if you want to be a stripper, you've just got to, you know, start exercising and taking care of yourself. And I'm like, okay, mom. And then, of course, as any 10 or 12 year old kid, was, I, I, I immediately left my brain. But I always remember that, that my mom was always so like she was so cool about but us just wanting to do what we wanted to do. She always encouraged us to try new things. And if we decided to not do it anymore, that's cool too. There was no, there's no such thing as being a failure in anything. And so I think that sort of like defines who I am today that I had. And I, and I know, again, I, I'm like the luckiest guy in the world. I know I'm super entitled as being born, born like a white dude, you know, in, in, you know, the eighties. And, um, but I do know that like having like a, a, a home life that just encouraged us to take chances and do things and, and, you know, you t I talk about in the book and, and you mentioned like when I got my first radio job, I had to drop out of school and my family was totally in encouraging. They're like, yeah, this, this is what you've always wanted to do. You've always wanted to get a job in radio. So if here's your chance, who cares if you're you know 19 years old and still in college, here's, here's your chance to go and do it. So, um, and I think, you know, I got that from home, but I think if you as a human being out there listening can encourage other people to do what they want to do and follow their dreams, I think that's what. That's what's going to foster the next generation of like great leaders and great communicators, great podcasters, what have you, is if you're surrounded by people who encourage what you want to do. And so I think that to me is, was sort of like what led me on my path, that I had this really solid home base, good family, and uh, my parents were just like, do what you want to do that's going to make you happy. I totally relate to that. In fact, my mom probably said those exact same words to me, and I left our first conversation with such a sense of unexpected connection to you also because I was actually going to pick my dad up from the airport that day because he was visiting and we had shared the conversation when you told me the radio station that you worked at was actually the one that my mom had worked at when she was in uh in Manhattan in radio I think long before you were there but mm -hmm. you know even just having some of those little nuanced, very specific moments and conversations that surprise you, that are unexpected, the things that 
you can find our commonalities with people even when you don't expect it because you don't know enough about somebody to even have an expectation maybe. And so I love having those, I think you call them magic moments, uh, where the conversation starts to just become so fluid and connected between the two people that you're, you know, I referenced being on autopilot a little before, but it's like in a different way. It's where you just feel like you've caught a rhythm. And when you meet people who are open-minded and supportive, as you said, you know, the way that your family was, that unconditional support really, I I feel, magnetizes uh, people to you even more because you gain confidence in a way that is not arrogant, but it's, I think, a humbled confidence that, you know, you can do it and you know that if you if you don't do it the way that you wanted to or it doesn't play out the way you had hoped, that you still have a really strong support system and a core group of people who are going to show up for you and being able to go to those people and have conversations with them about the things in your life that are good, bad, or indifferent, I feel really makes a, a huge difference and creates a massive impact on how we show up in the other conversations and the other relationships that we have in our lives. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, 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 I can sometimes be cocky and I, I, I'll say to someone like, they'll be like, Hey, could we do this interview? And I'm like, I'm like, but he does this certain thing. And I'm like, I can talk to anybody. And I say that, and I don't mean that from a cocky, like I'm so overconfident. I could talk to anybody. But when I say that, it's like, I can talk to anybody because I care to talk to other people. You know what I mean? It's not like I could talk to people just because I'm so clever and funny and smart. It's like, no, <laughs> I can talk to anybody because I can talk to anybody. So when in my previous life working in, in, in Radio New York, I basically just interviewed celebrities. So musicians, artists, actors, what have you. And then when I took this job working in, in business uh, podcasting with Advantage Forbes Books, I actually had like a brief like hint of like imposter syndrome, like, how am I going to talk to like a guy who or a woman who built a multi-million dollar company or or a person who created a widget that changed lives? Like, how can I, I possibly have a conversation with these people? And I started doing it. And then I was like, you idiot. It's all the same. It it's is all the same. It's people who want to talk about themselves. At the end of the day, that's what life is. It's like just people who like talking about themselves. And I know it's I'm speaking in generalities, but like when you're talking about like folks that want to appear on a podcast or do an interview or be a front facing individual of a company, they want to talk about themselves. You know, they're, 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 oh, you know sorry, anybody. Yeah, no, the, anybody, anyone out there just wants to talk about themselves. And so when I was started doing these podcasts, it was like and I was, it was funny, too, because I laugh at it. And I, I still remember it when I was like, why was I so worried about it? And again, it always goes back to like, I could talk to anybody thing, but it was, it really is just about the fact that all of the skills that we've been talking about, being a good listener, being curious, it doesn't matter what field you're in talking about it. And again, I don't know anything about this stuff. Like I remember I produced a podcast for a guy who created like this SaaS company that helps uh, hospitals uh, improve their infusion center wait times. First of all, I don't even, I didn't even know what that was, <laughs> but like I did a podcast with this guy. I interviewed these two guys who were creating this this like plugin for Web3 that's going to be useful in the metaverse. I don't know about any of that stuff, but like I'm curious and I give these people the platform to share ideas. And if there's something I don't understand, I act as the avatar to the audience and be like, all right, cool. I don't know what that means. Can you just speak that speak to me in layman's terms about that? So I think as a, a podcast host, uh, if, if or if you're fledgling and you, you're you trying to get started and being in podcasting, like, you know, I don't even know what I want to be. I think as long as you are curious and want to know about people, you have to consider yourself the avatar for whoever's listening. Just always think like when you're doing this one thing, like if someone's listening to this, what are they getting out of it? Because you should be getting out of it the same thing that the audience you are. You're basically an audience member mm -hmm. when it comes to being a host of a podcast. People don't think that sometimes people just think like, oh, OK, like I totally understand what this person's saying. So there's no need to explain. Um, so I think it's super important. So whoever's doing something like this, it's just like just remember, it's not just always about you and what you, what you're able to understand. Sometimes it's always just like being being sort of open that like not everyone knows what everyone else is talking about. 
Absolutely. And that's something that a theme that has followed me throughout my life, quite candidly, even when I was writing when I was younger, I feel like my mom would always say to me, you keep assuming that people know the context behind what you're writing here. Mm. You need to actually explain a little bit more so a reader has the context that you have. And I guess I hadn't really considered how that probably has parlayed itself into my speaking experience as well. And something that you had said too around when people are really trying to create more presence for themselves, that they are open to talking about themselves. Nicole, my wife gave me the same feedback. She was like, Nikki, I know that you want to kick off the next season of the podcast and you've been, you know, on hiatus for a little while. So you're feeling anxious, but people want to talk about themselves. Like you're, you're not, you're not putting something out there that isn't going to give something back to people too. And so looking at it as something that is mutually beneficial, I feel can be really helpful because it gives incentive to everyone involved in the conversation to show up authentically, to share their message in a meaningful way. And you had made the comment earlier about leveraging some of these opportunities from a networking perspective. And that happens, I think, kind of organically because of the nature of the depth of the conversations. And I've had a couple of interviews where we had gotten on intro calls and I think there was a mutual sense of, I don't know if we're going to have anything in common. I'm sure we can have a conversation, but you know, is there a relatability there? And it's totally fine if there's not. I think sometimes that makes for really good conversation. Hmm. And at the same time, what was really cool with this one guest that I'm thinking of in particular, Denise, was that, you know, we actually had really similar life events unfold. The The circumstances were different, um, you know, sort of in their own containers, but the growth that we achieved out of it, some of the actual events and the coinciding of like a divorce with the loss of our moms and these moments that you think, oh God, there's nobody that could relate to me about this. So I don't really think about it. And I'm like, oh, where are all the people who went through a terrible divorce and lost their mom at the same time? And you're like, I mean, that's probably, I hope, honestly, for everybody else's sake, that's a small subset of people. And at the same point in time, you know, when we ended up doing the interview, we both expressed that sense of, oh, it was really nice to to feel that connection and know that somebody else understands what that's like to go through that turmoil and to find sort of these underlying similarities that can pop up without any sense of this is what you're going into the conversation and you're going to receive from it. And so I think when you speak about being sort of a listener, listener to your own podcast, that I do often think about who is listening and, and what is going to help them become more attuned to who they are and what they need and want out of life. And it sounds like a lot of your perspective is shared in that regard because there's so much importance around the people we surround ourselves with, whether that's professionally or personally. So like when you think about how you've grown your career, uh, do you think that you've been able to expand your personal relationships as a result of having these conversations with people that maybe wouldn't have otherwise entered your world? Absolutely. I mean, I will say because of the the the, the way of my career shaped out where I was working in media in New York, the funny thing is, is like I would only in New York, if you're anyone who lives in a big city, it's really hard to meet people. So I would say 99% of the people I met while living and working in New York were I met on the job. So I think for for my sake, it was like basically my career was the, the my connection to like my connections and friends and everything like that. So when I moved down to Charleston, now I live in a new neighborhood and I have like I'm friends with my neighbors. And that's like not a thing people do like in cities like you don't Definitely know. Like, your, most, like hmm. Yeah, <laughs> most people don't know who their neighbor is or, or who lives down the street or lives upstairs or downstairs. And so it's been kind of cool that like my wife and I became friends with like a couple of couples. So we go on couples dates and stuff like that. And it's it's really cool and cute. And it's like something I never did before because all the people I'd ever known and worked with or connected with or spoke with were all like sort of ingrained or intertwined in my in my career. So it's kind of cool, like to have the best of both worlds of being able to like connect with people just, you know, through your work your your work friends but then like to be able to have like go home and like have totally different people and and have totally different tastes and you know one guy 
is a financial planner. The other woman is owns a business. And it's like it's so so cool as opposed to just like people working with and talking with media people. So it's it is it is great to uh that now I'm able to do that. But I would say, yeah, before that it was just mostly people that I worked with through radio. Yeah. And <clears throat> excuse me again. So when you're having conversations with people, have you had any moments where you feel like you have to sort of step back and reevaluate how you approach the conversation just based on either somebody's willingness to open up or um, possibly even just sort of a sense of ego where you need to make the conversation maybe a bit more enticing for an audience and, and sort of less focused on an individual's desire to speak about themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Like you know, we joked earlier about, you know, everyone wants to talk about themselves, mm -hmm. but when you're in real life in IRL, some people don't want to talk about themselves or feel comfortable talking about themselves. So I think in those situations, I I'm sort of prepared for either or. So if someone is willing to share about their life, I'll, I'll just like pepper them with questions. And it drives mm -hmm. my wife crazy that like, you know, she's like, you know, you're not doing a podcast. You're like, I remember I, I, uh, I become really good friends with uh, someone down here and I met his, his dad on, uh, Christmas Eve. And he's like 80 something year old guy, really, really sweet. But he like, he was, he like, he lived in South Jersey for a while, like Camden. And all of a sudden, like, I, he wasn't talking to anyone. And I just started talking to him about like, Hey, you know, like I hear you're from Jersey. And then we, he started talking about Jersey and like, he just opened up and talked about like how this Camden, New Jersey was different from when he was a kid and everything like that. And so, and my wife's like on the other side of the room, she's like, this idiot can just talking to anybody. But, uh, <laughs> but for me, like giving him the opportunity to talk about his life and everything like that, because he was surrounded by family members who probably were sick and tired of his stories. But for me as, as, as a newbie to the family, so to speak, I gave him this platform to just be able to just like, just like, just open up and talk about his life. But then there's times where I'll go into parties and maybe um, they've got like teenage kids and like, you know, the teenage kids don't want to talk about anything. So I'll just go ahead and just like start talking about myself and sharing stories and like tying in, like I'll, you know, I'll ask them a, a question about something and like tie it into something in my life. So I've always got like anecdotes in my back pocket ready to go for any kind of conversation. And I think that's, something people don't think about. And I was, it's funny. I was on a TV, uh, local TV show before the holidays and they had me on because they wanted to have uh, someone talk about how to break the ice at holiday parties and to like help people like communicate with family members and everything like that. And one of the things I, I talk about is like being prepared. Like, you know, in the book, I talk about being prepared for a podcast and researching everything like that. Mm -hmm. You can always be prepared in real life. Like if you know you're going to go out to visit a family member you haven't seen before, like look them up online, like mm -hmm. stalk them on Facebook or Instagram, find something that they've done that you could bring up in conversation because all of a sudden, like the idea of like, oh man, what are we going to talk to this person about? Like if you have some bullets in your chamber, so to speak, and be like, okay, cool. Like I have nothing in common with this person, but maybe if I could pick up a couple nuggets from his social media or something like that, where I could be like, hey, I saw that thing you did because Nikki, you know this as well as I do. No one gets more of like a emotional erection than when you say you saw something on social media that they did. I, I'm telling like I've worked with people, known people like if you say something, oh, I saw that thing you did in social media. I'm like, oh, you did? Like, yeah. it's like telling it's like going up to an actor and telling them that you love their favorite movie. You're like, like you that is attention like attention to me. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I'm telling you, if you can bring up something that they've done in the past, like this is either in interviews or in real life with family, friends, whatever. If you could pluck something from their past that they did, that they posted, shared, like that will just drive a conversation. And it could be someone like you would never speak to maybe just once a year at a family gathering. But if you have that one little nugget that you can use in conversation, man, your life is so much easier oh, yeah. because all of a sudden you've just opened the floodgates with this other person. You know, it's funny that you say that, too, because we just had some family holiday celebrations with Nicole's family. And I it was I, I wouldn't say like a large group of people It's probably like 15 people or so. But it was enough that, you know, you kind of are trying to figure out, you know, how you're going to migrate from conversation to conversation. And it, her aunts who I had met previously were there. And, you know, I'm engaging with people in sort of the general, hi, how are you doing conversations? But you bet your ass that I was like, okay, what did I talk to them about over the summer party? So then I can reference that now. Like, <laughs> her one aunt had gotten a dog. Great. How's that going? And we leave the party and my wife's like, I think you spoke to my aunt more than I've ever spoken. <laughs> and I was like, cause I had a topic in mind. I was able to, you know, feed off of that. And even, um, 
her, I guess, cousin-in-law, uh, who's also going through and having gone through the permanent residency process in Canada, it was like even just having that in common with her and being able to say, okay, let's use this as like the launch pad for the conversation. And yeah. we ended up having a really engaging conversation that led to some really humorous moments and additional discussion points that weren't planned or didn't really involve the, the topic that we had started with, but it gives you the ability to sort of get into the state of comfort and then emotional and psychological safety, hopefully, mm -hmm. where you start to relinquish that pressure and your any sense of ego that either person might have and really get to the, you know, that that deeper human connection that helps drive further relationships. And and sometimes, you know, conversations remain relatively surface level. Yeah. But I think the most surface level conversation I can have with somebody is still something where they're telling me a, a personal piece of information and i get the sense that you're sort of similar in that because it sounds like our wives respond the same way to how we yeah. engage with people which is like okay you're at it again you know and yeah. i i really admired reading more about you and your story and how you you seem to have really known from a young age that this was your gift it felt like a passion and this is something that i feel like I've always gravitated towards I've always been the talker but I have joked for a while that like somebody just needs to pay me to do it because I do nothing better if at least not more than talk mm. so I'm curious as one talker to the other <laughs> is there any advice in terms of how you approach your whether it's your career or just sort of your day-to-day -day life to elevate you know, the awareness about the conversations you're having or how to engage more people to facilitate conversations that are going to inspire or create deeper, meaningful connections. Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, we all want to have a deeper conversation as much as, you know, having the weather talk with your neighbor is the easiest thing you do. Man, another cool day today. Man, what happened? To the weather? It's like yeah. it, it, those little connected things are always great to have in your back pocket. But I think I, I, when it comes to creating like a really deep, meaningful conversation, I think it's really time over tension, so to speak. So I think the more you have developed in terms of a conversation and i talk about in the book like never ask like a hard-hitting question like early in a conversation like let, let you know warm the other person up make them feel comfortable and that's how you get into these deep conversations so they could start with like really silly like banter about the weather but then really work into into more deeper things and i think you can't get you can't jump into the deep end of the pool i think a conversation is very much like the pool at a hotel where you start to walk, you still, you see it starts at three feet and then you, the slower, slower you walk down, the, the pool gets into like 10 feet. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the way you have to approach conversations. It's like, all right, so you're in the, you're in the shallow part of the pool. It's, it's, you can just, it goes up to your knees. And then, so this is like where you're talking about like, you know, last night's uh, episode of the bachelor, and then you're going to work your way down and it gets deeper. And then you get into more personal things when you get to the 10 foot part of the pool. So creating that space. And, you know, in the book, I talk about my Taylor Swift uh, story where I basically was just a total dick when she walked into the studio. Um, I, I talk about the fact that when she came in to be interviewed, um, her publicist had given us this rule that we can only record video the first five minutes of the conversation. And I was like really annoyed by that. I'm like, well, why? Why would why, why only five minutes? And at the time, you know, looking back at it now, they probably just wanted to make sure that there wasn't that much video content of her out there in the world that was unfiltered, whatever. But no one has ever had this 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 requirement before. So it really pissed me off that we have this the biggest star on the planet coming into a studio and we can and as I've been talking about, the first five minutes of any conversation usually suck. It's usually just warming up the person. So all I'm envisioning is like, oh, great. So we're going to have video documentation of the worst part of our interview. So I <laughs> resented it for so much. And so Taylor Swift comes into the studio, publicist make, does a beeline right to the videographer who's standing a few feet away from me. And she says to him, like, hey, listen, just so you know, at the five minute mark, I'm going to tap you on the shoulder and you're going to have to turn off the camera. They didn't even trust us to turn off. They like you have to literally lower the camera. And so, again, I've got all this bubbling up under me. I'm so pissed off. And I say to the publicist, oh, just a quick question about that. 
Um, if we have a follow-up question to that last question at the five-minute mark, could we continue to keep rolling? And she's like, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll see how it goes. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And then I say, well, oh, one more thing. What if I we have a follow-up question to that follow-up question from the question that was in the five-minute mark? Would we be able to continue? And at that point, the, the pulse is like, I, yeah, I guess. Oh, sure. And then because I couldn't leave well enough alone, I said, and what if we had a third follow-up question to the second follow-up question that really tied into the first follow-up question from the five-minute mark? Would we be able to continue? Pulse said, nothing to say. But on the other side of the room, I hear the voice of Taylor Swift say, well, somebody woke up feeling saucy this morning. <laughs> and the entire place went quiet. I had no idea that Taylor Swift was listening to this conversation. I was literally on the other side of the room. Taylor's sitting down next to the other host on the show, yakking about something else. But for some reason, she picked up on this. And so she completely put her guards and walls up during the entire conversation. She's like, she's like, I don't feel safe here. Like I'm speaking for her, here, but like she didn't feel safe in this conversation sharing. So it was basically a perfunctory by the numbers, same answer. She's given to every question in the, in the, in the interviewer in the world that she's given a million times in the, over the course of her young life. And so my ego got in the way of us having a great conversation with Taylor Swift, who knows if it was going to be, but me not being able to set the scene and create an environment that, People were willing to share and feel easy and not worry about someone trying to ask a gotcha question or be controversial. And so I let that happen. And and I and the reason I put that in the book is not to embarrass myself, but it was really more about the idea of like, hey, I learned from that. Like if you want to create a space where you're having conversations that are fully deep and creating these magic moments we've been talking about, the only way to do that is if you're able to sort of just cultivate a, a space where, you know, I hate to use the, these cliche words of like a safe space, but like if you can create a safe space for a conversation, that's where you're going to be able to get deep. That's where you're going to be able to create magic moments. That's where you will make the connection. But I didn't do that with Taylor Swift and I learned from that. And that's so that's why I tell people like, man, just make sure you create that safe space first and then you can have really deep and meaningful conversations. That's such a great story. And I really appreciate you sharing it, particularly because when I consider the way that I approach life, it is really about making sure that the people that I'm talking to feel safe. And you had mentioned at the start of the conversation, so I feel like this kind of rounds it out nicely, is that you know a lot of times introverts feel like maybe they're not as great at conversating. Uh, we jokingly, because I've worked in tech for so long, have dubbed me the introvert whisperer because <laughs> you're working with a lot of people who are sort of, you know, neck deep in, in code and not necessarily on their own accord, you know, super social people. But I love having those moments where somebody who's very deeply introverted will say to me, yeah, but I don't know why, but I just like, I just like talking to you or I feel like I can open up and I'm like, yes, I've done it. <laughs> that's a win. <laughs> yes. I'm like, I'm going to crack that nut. And, <laughs> and so I feel like that's where you, you create these safe spaces, as you said, and you're able to build on that. And sometimes it's a moment in time. It's like a flash in the pan. And other times those connections start to grow and evolve into really relationships that we couldn't ever anticipate. And I feel so grateful that you and I were able to connect because, I mean, it was just one of those moments where, you know, similar to what you'd written, I believe in the in your book or possibly an article that I had read that, you know, just really letting go of the fear of asking questions, let go of the fear of being curious and really stand in, you know, your own experience and, and sharing that experience with someone else. Because, you know, I had seen that uh, you were promoting your book, I think, and just was like, this person seems really interesting. And like, what a what a career you've had, it would be great to get you on the podcast. I mean, you responded really quickly, I felt, you know, really, a sense of gratitude for somebody with your um, with your experience and know how in the business also, to be able to spend time chatting with you even just on the intro call and gain something out of that. But then to have this conversation on top of that and be able to share that with an audience of captive listeners. <laughs> it, it, it's really meaningful to me in a lot of ways. And I truly appreciate your time, Joe. You've been very insightful. And your storytelling really is just so dynamic and engaging. It is really inspiring to hear your story and to know that there is so much opportunity really in this space to 
be part of these conversations and to help other people grow through it. So thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, well, thank you, Nikki. I appreciate it. Usually I'm on the other side asking the questions. So to me, it's always harder the person answering the questions. So thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to chat about me and my book. Yeah, absolutely. And if you enjoyed listening to our conversation and want to learn more about Joe and his work, you can check out his website. And you can also hear Joe interview guests on the Forbes Books podcast. And you can pick up Good Listen on Amazon and get some more insights on how to have better conversations with the people in your lives. Thanks for listening to Who the Fuck. And if you like what you hear, share the show with your friends, family, coworkers, or anyone else you think needs a healthy dose of introspection and raw authenticity. Feel free to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. It's always appreciated. And you can also visit whothefck.com to check out more content. Plus, you can follow me on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at whothefck underscore pod to keep up to date with what's new in my world and for exclusive bonus content. Catch you on the flip side. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and... Hear the culture. Electric acid.